people that as your children we have a chance to come to you and thank you for all the wonderful things you do for us. We're thankful for the moisture. And Father, we thank you that you be with us as we study a portion of your word, watch over us, guide our nation, Father, and protect our military personnel that are in harm's way. And Father, we're truly thankful for the opportunities you provide us with warmth and clothing to take care of us at this time of season. And Father, we're truly thankful for Dan and his efforts to bring us a message. In Christ's precious name, amen. Thank you, sir. All right. We are a third of the way through. We will be wrapping up 1 Timothy next week. We are going to take out a fair chunk of it this week. Starting in chapter 4, and we're going to move all the way through chapter 6, the second verse in chapter 6. So we are going to be moving. Um, there's a whole lot that are going on uh, in this next two chapters. We've broken this week's reading into six smaller sections. Uh, and Really what we're going to be looking at is false teaching in later times. What does that really mean? Um, teaching and model of sound doctrine. We're going to talk about encouraging older and younger believers. And then honoring widows, elders, and masters in their own little sections there. That'll take us through verse 2 of chapter 6. How many of you were able to read the passage for today? Whoop, whoop. Awesome. Those that weren't with us have an excuse. I guess they didn't know. That's all right, because you know why? We're going to read it again real quick. It is not that long, honestly. It's just 30 verses, maybe. Uh, it is not quite eh, a little longer than 30 verses, but it's not real long. Um, takes us about 5-10 minutes, but that will help us have it fresh in our minds so as we run through today, because we have to move uh, <laughs> We can, we can just kind of understand where everything is at. But starting in chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared with, as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected, if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. We are reading in uh, 1 Timothy 4 right now, uh, pick it up in verse 7. We're going to read right through chapter 6, verse 2. That way it keeps uh, these things fresh in our minds as we talk about it today. But picking up in verse 7 there. Have nothing to do with godless, myth, godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding the promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when, your bo- when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgments on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into a habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and give the enemy no opportunity for slander. But some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be a burden with them, so that the church can help the widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in, whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in laying on the hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water, and use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds and obvious 
good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious can remain hidden for cannot remain hidden forever. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them better because their masters are dearer to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Not a long read, but there's a lot of information in this. As we start looking at it and how this is and where we're at in the place in our passage, in our previous lessons, Paul stressed his purpose for writing to Timothy. What was that? Encourage him to teach. Continue to teach. Continue to do what? Spread the gospel, but be on the lookout for false teachers. I tell you these things so that if I am delayed, you may know what? How the household of God should work. How you're supposed to act. Right? And that's kind of what he's telling him. He expounded upon this last week in Timothy 3, 14 through 16, and he talked about the mystery of godliness. What was that mystery? Chapter 3, 14 through 16. What is that mystery that he talks about? Appeared in flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit. Who is he? Jesus was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on the world and taken up to glory. Our salvation is no longer a mystery. This is godliness. But Paul was talking about the mystery of godliness there and, and how we're supposed to now understand this. Up until this point, what was hidden? For Christ, yes. salvation. Salvation. There was no way. Right? Absolutely. Paul continues in chapter 4. And he continues to warn against the insidious threat of false teaching that's undermining this goodness of God's creation. This mystery of godliness, so to speak. The false teachers are undermining this. We read in 6 through 16 of chapter 4 how Paul is offering personal, practical instructions to Timothy who must persist in his faithful teachings. This is a very personal talk here if you look at it. Last week we also discussed men, women, overseers, deacons, elders, and how they should act in the household of God. We're going to take that today and expound on those groups. And we're going to start looking at older and younger believers, fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters, widows, elders, and even bondservants, masters. So as we read today, and you start to think about all of the 
verses that we had here. What's the big picture we're looking at? If you had to sum up chapter 4 through 6, what is the big picture? It's the overarching view that we have. Relationships. Relationships, absolutely. True faith is expressed in actions. True faith is expressed in actions. I like that. As we're looking at it, we can also define it as vital, important, a sound doctrine. For godliness for who? Church leaders and other groups within the church, right? The group of believers. Action. This is not something where Paul is writing to Timothy and goes, you know, just going to sit down, everything will take care of itself. He's calling him to do something here. He's calling out the truth. Command. He told him command and teach. Command to teach. Yeah. He does. I command you to continue to teach these things in verse 11 of chapter 4. Yeah, it's strong, strong language. But it's very personal. We're going to start off in chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. False teaching in later times. We have a lot of prophetic vernacular being used by Paul here in the first few verses of chapter 4. What does Paul mean by in later times? We actually see this phrase used a number of times in the New Testament. Acts 2 and verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. 2 Timothy, we're going to hear it again. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Hebrews 1.12 But in the last days He has spoken to us by His Son. 1 Peter 1.20 He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. 2 Peter 3.3 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. What is Paul saying here? In later times, in the last days, the, clear, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith. As your life progresses, things will happen. You might be a young Christian and then fall away because of some of these things. And he's trying to teach Timothy that. Okay. As your life progresses, Mr. It looks like we're living in that time now. It looks like we're living in that time now. So do you think that the New Testament writers thought in later times to be in the future or something that has already begun? After Christ. Right, so anytime after. Anytime after Christ. I would go with that. Absolutely. Anytime after Christ is later times here. They are in it. It's very prophetic. 
how he says it, though. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. Almost like they're saying this is going to happen later. No, no. It's right now. And he goes through and he mentions some of these groups in here with the widows and how some of the young ones have already turned away. So no, it's not later. It's right now. The word. You know, men who say that women forbid marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, to be... They're adding things to the word. Absolutely. You know, he he already says in later times, but then he goes, um, and these things are going to be taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciousness have been seared as a bit of a hot iron. They're forbidding people to marry. They're forbidding people to eat certain foods. Marriage and abstaining from certain foods. You can't eat this. You can't drink that. You can't have this. I start to think about it, and as I was looking at it, why marriage? Why would they forbid people getting married? Their leaders have to not be married. Okay. So... At that point, we're talking about a false teacher. What What is a false teacher trying to do then? Kill off the population. Kill off the population, there you go. Take us away from God, right? Yeah. Who instituted this very sacred thing we call marriage? God. So if I am forbidding marriage... This is an attack directly on something God ordained. Right? Recommended that, that during his this period of time that he was speaking to, I think as a Corinthians, that people would be wise not to marry. But he did not command them not to. He just said, I wish all people would be like me and not marry. Absolutely. But he wasn't going to tell people not to marry. Absolutely. Because he saw the, the opportunity for Satan to corrupt them through their sinful, well, through their desires, their natural desires. There could be many, either a godly way through marriage or a sinful way through uh, extramarital sex. That's often what he was talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, when they give way to their natural desires. This is something. God gave us. He put these desires in us. Now, if you can, as Paul was talking there to the Corinthians, if you can put those desires aside, and now you are fully focused on Christ, good for you. I wish that all people could do this. But there are people who can't. Honestly, I enjoy what I have with my wife. A little too much to try and do that. (laughs) No way could I do that. I can't. But they're telling them, don't marry. Now, at this time, there was a uh, spiritists. And spiritists coming in to what they had here um, believed that lawful relations, it would ridicule their relationship with their so-called spiritual affinities, right? So spiritual affinity is something that they are trying to tune into, 
so that they can talk with the spirits. And if I am to have natural relations with husband and or wife, I'm going to have sex with them, I can't truly tune in to the spirits to tell you what you're supposed to do. Yolo. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, you want a spiritual experience? That ain't it. Right? So in order to make something wrong, right, they ridicule God and His ordained word. So now I'm okay, don't marry. Right? So why food? I mean, these seem like petty things, don't they? Marriage, I can understand marriage now. So why food? A foundational principle with Judaism that you you were per, not permitted to eat certain unclean versus clean foods. And uh, God had done away with that. And so if they tried to bring that back up again, it would be trying to lead them back into the old old way of being a Jew. We, we don't like this new way, do we? Absolutely not. So abstain from those nasty, unclean animals. I, I do enjoy me some cloven hoof food. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't enjoy me, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> right? Um, absolutely. These teachers were trying to hold on to the old way of life. Something had changed and they could not let go. All right? So they're going to say, you've got to abstain from these things. Now, if you also think about what we just talked about with spiritists and marriage, what do spiritists believe in? Your spirit has died, and what happens with that? Hmm, it's not gone. Come here. Ah, there's Timmy. Reincarnation. They believed in reincarnation. So, <laughs> if I'm going to take out an animal, it came back as a cow, it might have came back as a sheep, it might have came back as... I'm killing another soul. The act of sacrificing any kind of life as that person had died could come back as an animal was detrimental to their belief system. You compound that with we don't want to let go of the old and look at what's new and good. That's pretty compelling back then. We have a problem with that, don't we? We like to hold on to our old ways of doing things. Even if we've been shown to do it this way. I had a guy at place I worked at. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> and he had done his process the same way for over 15 years. This is back when I was in computers and technology. Technology and computers changed in 15 years. Processes could be updated. And he would come in and he was there early and he would leave fairly later at night, but it would take him all day to be able to do this. And we came in and went, this isn't working. Here's how you can do it much quicker and get it done in about 30 minutes. Well, that lasted for, I don't know, maybe a week. And he couldn't let go of going back to that old way to do it. 
That's the way I'm comfortable. That's the way I'm going to do it. I don't care if I can be more productive. I'm comfortable doing this. Don't change me. Change things around me. How many of us like that? <laughs> We're all like that, aren't we? Absolutely. It's no wonder when Paul wrote this that right after this, and he's telling them, hey, you know, they forbid people to marry. They forbid you to uh, abstain from certain foods that, that God has quite honestly said, here, take them. Receive them with thanksgiving and everything is good if you do it in the correct manner. And he moves right into teaching and modeling sound doctrine. Okay, these are some examples of what you've got, Timothy. Here's what we're going to look at. Godliness. Now this isn't the first time, nor it's going to be the last time, that we see this word written to Timothy. In fact, in 1 Timothy alone, we're going to see it about ten times. It is an important word in 1 Timothy. What does Paul mean by godliness? Like God. Godliness. Like God. What does that mean for us? Why is that important? There's life with God later. There's a path to God later, yeah. If we're trying to get there, now, he uses an example here, doesn't he? It's like physical training. Training for events. When I was in, in high school, I used to train for just about everything. Baseball, basketball, football, track, running, throwing, catching. And we would train day after day after day after day. And Paul says, hey, that's good. But it's not as good as godliness. Physical training is going to get you ready for one thing. But what's godliness going to do, according to verse 8? All things. All things. Right? I look at this and, okay, physical training is good, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We are training for what we're going to get. We are training for the big game, so to speak. Aren't we? And it's not by going out and running 100 miles. It's by training in godliness. In 6-16, through 16, Paul's going to start to stress the importance of sound doctrine and godly living. What are some of the commands that you find there as they relate to sound doctrine or to godly living that we can see in these verses. For example, godless myths and old wise tales are to be avoided. Godless myths and old wives tales. Right? Avoid those, right? What would you put those under? Would you put those under sound doctrine? Or would you put those under godly living? If you're to avoid them. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine? Okay. 
Sound doctrine. Okay. What about godly living? What, do we, what examples do we have here on godly living? 4, 6 through 16. Life, love, faith, and purity. An example. Where does that go? On the other side. Yeah. Be an example. Life, love, purity. What else do we find there? Public reading of Scripture, where would that go? Sound doctrine or godly living? Yes. <laughs> Read your Bible. Okay. Now, when they're reading their Bible, when did they do this? When did public reading of Scripture occur? Worship. But for these guys, when was that? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day, all the time. Now, why would Paul bring that one out? He's talking about godly living, sound doctrine. Oh, and Timothy, continue with the public reading of Scripture. Absolutely. You don't know what you're talking about. How do you know how to live? Right? Who are laws written for? Well, they're supposed to be for everyone, but some people break them. Okay. For those that don't break the law, are the laws any useful? No. Not at all. Absolutely not. Laws are written for the lawless, not for those who keep the law. We looked at that last week. But if you don't know the law, and you've never been taught the law, what are you doing? Everything's good. Thank you very much. Not so much. And I'll let you know if I need help. Exactly. Paul's telling Timothy, put this out there for everybody so that everybody knows exactly how to live. How do you be godly? How are we supposed to know what sound doctrine actually is? Read your Bible. Absolutely. He goes on, and there's a ton of them. Right? Preaching, teaching. Don't neglect your gift. I like that one. Do you all know what your gifts are? We've all been told we got gifts. I got gifts on Christmas. That's what we're talking about. Now, <laughs> might be preaching, it might be teaching, it might be praying, it might be helping the elderly or the young. Whatever your gift is, don't neglect it. But here, Paul's mentioned it very specifically to, to
to Timothy, how it was given to you through prophecy. Right? Now, we don't know when that happened. I have no clue. But basically, do not neglect your gift. Now, he's telling Timothy to remain sound, remain firm. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Live a godly life. Not just because people are going to go, Hum, there's Timothy. They're going to see it. They're going to want it. That example that Timothy led through how he lived, that's not going and beating him over the head with the Bible every day, is it? Just teach it. Preach it. Live it. That's how we're going to make it work. He moves on from that into encouraging older and younger believers. Timothy told Paul, you're young. Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. Later in 2 Timothy, we're going to see that he says, flee your youthful passions. Now, if you use both of these together, <laughs> Timothy, you're young, don't let people look down on you, and flee your youthly passions. What is he talking about? Now, he's just mentioned this uh, uh, da -da 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 -da, when he's talking about older and younger believers. How can we mix those together? How does he put those together like that? Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your... Father, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger as sisters, with absolute purity. And he tells them, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And in the next letter, he's going to tell them, avoid your youthful passions. Absolutely. Yeah. So using these two verses together, what youthful passions could Timothy avoid when dealing with older and younger men and women? And, uh, testosterone's high in a young man. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they all, we all have to deal with it. And, feel, and, uh, and control that physical part of our life. However, I think Paul's pointing out to him, he's also got where he may be physically young and maybe, quote, immature. Spiritually, he was quite mature. That's, and so when, when I look at a young man, I tend to think of him as mentally, physically immature. However, it's very possible that spiritually they could be more mature than I am. Absolutely. He's telling Timothy how to relate on both levels. But you also look at it, and just recently he says, uh, you know, overseers should be above reproach. Was Timothy basically an overseer of these guys? I don't know if he was married, but he was overseeing the church and its work. Was he not there? He was the one put in charge to make this happen, to show them how they're supposed to live and act in God's household. right? But he still needed to have that quality. 
to be above reproach. And Paul is just warning him, hey, be careful, right? Treat them with respect. Right? He's got a bunch of commas, 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 commas here in verse 5. Treat younger men, older women, younger women, comma, with absolute purity. That wasn't just the sisters with absolute purity. It's also the older men, the younger women. Right? Absolutely. He jumps in from this and he jumps into over to honoring widows. And we're going to fly through these next few sections here. There's three groups of widows mentioned in chapter 5. Widows with children or grandchildren, widows over 60, and young widows. Right? And he gets very specific with widows in the church and how they're to offer the help. Who are the widows the church is supposed to help? Those with no family. Those over 60. Those who have shown a good and godly life through certain things. Yeah. Why? Why not just help all widows? A church is going to have limited resources. They're not going to be able to financially support all the widows. Number two, he's going to point out that a family's responsibility is to care for its for other family members. And that's one of the places of true religion is uh, expressed. Absolutely. Family helps family. This is pleasing to God, Paul tells us. Right? So is there any motivation for widows to be taken care of by relatives? Did Paul give us any motivation to say, you know, you're her family. Take care of her. What, what's the motivation? For your own salvation. If you're not doing this, one, you're not reading a word. You don't know how to actually act as a godly person but you're going to be labeled as an unbeliever, one who has denied the faith. Now you look at verses such as Exodus 20, verse 12. That should start ringing a bell. We just got done with that about five weeks ago. Honor who? Your father and your mother. Absolutely. That's repeated again in Mark 7. That's also repeated in Matthew and in Ephesians 6, verse 2. Paul tells younger widows under 60, remarry. But he also says that if they want to marry, they could bring judgment on themselves for breaking their first pledge. What are we talking about here? Wait a minute. Man, you're, you're killing me, Paul. You tell me to marry. You tell me not to marry because I break my first pledge. And in fact, you're telling me that there are those that have already done this and have followed Satan. So using all of that in context, what is he telling young women? Get married. Why? So you can save yourself and, and others you come in contact with. Young women are going to have the urge to be with a man and marry again. That urge can be so strong that they throw their faith to the wind. 
and they just want to get married. They just want to be with anybody that will be with them. They don't care if this is a godly man. They don't care if he is going to bring them into God's relationship with him. They are just going to get married. And by doing this, what happens? You go into a marriage thinking you're going to change that young man. What happens? Ladies, did we change? <laughs> no. It doesn't work that way. He's telling them, if you've got that urge to marry, get married. But look for someone who is going to be godly. Look for someone who is going to help you in your faith. Not someone who is going to hinder you. If they're not godly now, most likely they're not going to be. And if you do that, then you have just been pulled away. Not good. He's not criticizing them from wanting to be married. He's criticizing them for throwing away their spiritual aspect of the marriage and just marrying anybody they want. To Christ, exactly. They're throwing away that divine principles that they have now just to get a man. <laughs> or to be taken care of. Now, I'm not going to say that an ungodly man cannot take care of a woman well. They can't take care of them well 100% because an ungodly man cannot provide what? The spiritual aspect. That is worth more. We just got done looking at, for physical training there's some value, but godliness has value for all things. Why? Because it holds promises for both the present life and the life to come. Yes, getting married is good, but we got to also look at that spiritual aspect. We got married to help us later in life as well. And our mate should help us with that. Paul moves on to elders. And we have beaten elders up and down, haven't we? Elders are respectful. They're supposed to be held in respect. They're supposed to handle accusations in this manner. I like this here. And this is the one part I wanted to bring out in this passage. Paul says, For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now the first one, do not muzzle an ox, comes from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. The second one, the worker deserves his wages, comes from Luke 10, verse 7. Why would this be interesting in how Paul phrased for Scripture says? What was Scripture at this point to Paul? Well, okay. What was Scripture to believers of that time? Old Testament. However, he's bringing in Luke 10, verse 7, which didn't have the little chapters and inclinations. He knew his books here pretty well. And says, for Scripture says. Paul's saying, the inspiration of Scripture itself, anything that has been inspired by God, Right? One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. He puts them on the same level. That's pretty interesting, I thought. I had never thought about that before. 
Paul's using Old Testament and New Testament when he's talking to Timothy, saying that this is Scripture. Look at it. You're not supposed to just look at the beginning of the, the Bible, the first half. You go back over here and it says, read Scripture. Read the daily public reading of Scripture. He's just saying, these things that are uh, inspired by God, also read those because they hold good things for you. The last group that uh, Paul talks about is honoring masters. And we'll wrap up with how we're supposed to do that. How are servants supposed to act towards our masters? As brothers, as sisters. Absolutely. Especially if they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Not saying that anyone is a slave who works, but does this give us any principle for how we're supposed to work as Christians? How can we use this as fruitful, effective lives? We're to work unto God. But we're also to consider their masters worthy of full respect. We, who are in the workforce, which would have been oh, probably all of us at some point in time, need to respect those who are working for. Why? Right there. Paul brings it all back full circle. We are now the example. In the workplace, in the community, in our family, there's opportunity to share God through how we live. But if we're living incorrectly, that example means nothing. Something to think about as we go through our week. Are we living a godly, a pure life? And if we're not, how and why not? And how can we get back to that? Next week, we're going to talk about contrast between true and false teachings. And we're going to finish out chapter 6. So it's going to be chapter 6, verse 2 through 21. Uh, we're just going to look at one chapter next week. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate your time.